Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life-Altering Events on VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Today, we're broadcasting from San Diego, California. We're overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and it is a beautiful day, absolutely beautiful day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the entire world is experiencing a life-altering event at the same time. COVID-19 is changing just about everything we're going to do. It's changing us personally, professionally, socially, and even spiritually. As we make out of this worldwide crisis, we're going to have to determine who's going to thrive and who's going to flounder. What's going to be the new normal? And then the key question, who is willing to face the inevitable changes that are going to occur? So what are we going to do about this? Right now, the whole world is at a fork in the road, and we have to make a choice. Now, we can hope that things go back to the way they were, but let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, that's not going to happen. Or we can find the courage to pick up the pieces make the necessary changes, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Remember this, it is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, how has this virus affected your life? How are you determining and finding your new normal? If this crisis is giving you a life-altering event that can inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com Click on email the host and tell me about this event that so drastically changed your life, whether it's good or bad, how you addressed it, the impact it's had on your life, and where you are now. We will review it for content, fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, ladies and gentlemen, thanks to your loyalty, we now have over 150,000 listeners in 23 countries. So let me help you share your story with the world. As I mentioned earlier in the onset there, ladies and gentlemen, the world is changing and embracing change is more critical today than it has ever been. So we're going to talk about that. Before COVID-19, change was occurring faster than our ability to understand it and address it. Now, change is going to be coming even faster as we come out of this virus. Imagination is going to become more important than intelligence as we start to pick up the pieces. Finding new ways to do new things will be the differentiator between success and failure. We all know the only constant in life is change. Yet change is the one thing that most people fear. Why? The main reason is the unknown. People like stability, and change disrupts stability. How is this change going to impact my life, my job, my income, my family? The question most leaders and managers are hearing now is, why? 
why are we making this change? Why are we doing this? Why is it of value? And you better have answers. My next guest today is Natasha Tadvorik Cohen. I'm sorry, I butchered your name. <laughs> and she has faced major life-altering events her entire life. And she has created a business that helps organizations make informed change choices. Let me tell you a little bit about Natasha. She is the CEO of the National Value Centered Consulting, and she's the owner of Spiral Dynamics brand. Now, she is no stranger to change. She comes from a country that no longer exists. She's lived in three countries before she was seven years old. Her industry disappeared overnight, and she has been part of two acquisitions that adversely impacted her livelihood. So, Natasha, welcome to Life Altering Events. It is so awesome to be here with you and such a pleasure, Frank. Well, thank you. It's, uh, I, you and I have spoken and I've read your story and, and it is truly impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to enjoy this. Now, Natasha, you've experienced a type of life-altering events that most people just can't even imagine, just can't imagine. Share with the listeners what your early life was, what you faced when you were growing up. Well, when you've lived in a country and then been on an airplane before most people even um, had ever been on an airplane and then watched your parents try to learn an entirely new language, adapt to a different culture, and then as a five-year-old trying to understand the gaps between where your parents are coming from and what the rest of the world is saying and trying to translate, um, you start to see the world in a slightly different way. Um, So I came from the former Yugoslavia. Um, My parents actually, quote, escaped. Um, So it was a world where we didn't quite have the passports and the the blockages between countries that we do now. So it was a lot easier. My father left and he got on a boat and he traveled across the world to a job that was waiting for him in uh, Colorado. And my mother followed about nine months later and they, they knew they had to leave. They were not part of the political party in the former Yugoslavia. And if you weren't part of the party and you weren't part of politics, you didn't get the bennies, like a place to live, um, um, preference for jobs, and they knew that their lives had a very short, um, very short runway, very short of opportunities. So my mom needed to um, take me to the other side of the world, and she kind of slipped out into Italy, and then we flew over. Um, So, uh, and then began this new life. And my father was a professor at the university. He was a very talented um, mathematician. Um, He ended up being top 10 in his field. And that never would have happened had they not done what a lot of people were utterly frightened to do, which is leave a country, leave a culture, um, leave a language and lifestyle that they understood with the dream for a better and a different life. 
That's an amazing story. And, and so many of us who have immigrant parents have heard that story and lived through that. Now, you had mentioned when we spoke that you came in, you got into the fashion world, and you ran into more change that occurred. Tell, tell them what happened when, when you were in fashion. Oh, so I was living in Montreal. So that was, you know, skip forward three countries, right? <laughs> so I was living in Montreal and the the world of design, um, the world of color and fabric just really called to me. And I'd work my way up, uh, become a stylist merchandiser. And what that means is you have your fingers on the pulse of what people want before they want it. So I got good at following patterns. I got good at seeing what people were buying and wanting and what um, what appealed to them. So I needed to have the clothes and the colors and in the styles that they wanted on my design board about a year and a half before they were even going to shop for it. And it was just, it was fun. Um, I worked on a street where people were double and triple parked and there were like contracts and they were running in and out with fabrics and there was fashion and it was a frenzy and it was just really uh, just a blast. It was exciting. There was always something happening. And then this thing called NAFTA happened between the U.S. and Canada. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the lumberjacks out west were talking about how horrible it was going to be. But if you're in fashion in Montreal, you're not thinking that the lumberjacks really know what they're talking about, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So you're and what you've got right at your nose is the demand that your customers have. And we were trying to get our orders shipped. We were trying to get our fabrics. We were trying to get stuff cut. We were trying to get stuff assembled. And there's just no time to pay attention to this thing called NAFTA. And it was almost overnight that uh, bills stopped being paid and orders stopped being put in. And the manufacturer's disappeared. It was just a few short months. And that busy street where people were double and triple parked overnight turned into a ghost town. It was empty. And there weren't any cars. There were a few sales. But it was like it just disappeared. And so many of us just didn't know what to do. I remember NAFTA. I was in high tech, and uh, we went through not not as extreme as you did, but it did change a lot of things for a lot of people. So you've had all this change in your life. You had to move multiple countries. You had this thriving business. It was booming. It was now just your legs were taken out from over out legs were taken out from under you overnight. So Natasha, where do you find the courage and the strength? to keep going after going through all that at a very young age? I think part of it, Frank, is you don't have a choice. You can't just roll over. Um, Bills had to be paid, 
And there, there was really this idea that's always been in my body, which is just put one foot in front of the other. Just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, there was no pathway. There was no map. There was no um, recipe formula that said, how do you get from here to there? Uh, at that time, we didn't have the world of coaching. Um, at that time, I didn't even know that there was a world of personal and professional development. So it was just, in a sense, fumbling around in the darkness. And I discovered the world of uh, personal and professional development. I started getting myself trained. Um, I discovered this thing called neuro-linguistic programming. And I didn't quite know what it was, but there was something in me that said, you've got to do this. And I started, and I don't know that it was, um, I don't know that it was conscious, uh, but I started uh, working on myself. I started picking apart what was going on internally in me and looking at how do I change myself. And I think it was then that I discovered that in order to have your world change, that you can't remain static, that you have to make yourself into the person that you want to be. And that was never an idea that was um, prevalent in the fashion business. If you wanted to change something, you would uh, put some new clothes on, you get some new colors, you get a new hairstyle. You could change on the surface very easily, but changing internally was a completely new set of ideas for me at that time. And that was where a lot of the skills and the um, approaches to change first started being seeded in my world. And later I discover models and frameworks and, you know, some of the things that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but that, those were the first steps. Those are the very first things that uh, started the evolution of self in, in my mind. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Uh, I was taught many, many years ago when you just hit it right on the head. Nothing changes until you do. Absolutely. You've got to take responsibility for who you are, how you're showing up, how you're thinking, how you're perceiving, and um, really tapping into that internal and external experience and what it means to you. Now, you took all this introspective look at yourself and you developed a program called Spiral Dynamics which I understand is based on differentiating people by the way they think as opposed to the standard we've all seen personality tests. Um, please explain what that means. Well, I'll just um, back up just a, a little bit. Um, I heard something about values in NLP and um, thought it was interesting. And a book came out and that book was called Spiral Dynamics. And I picked it up and when I got to the end of it, I realized it was nothing like what they had taught 
in NLP. And I wanted to do that training. It just spoke to me. And I don't know if you've ever been in that position where a book reaches out, grabs your heart and says, and your mind and says, this is your pathway. Absolutely. That's, I, that's, I have had books that do the same thing. We are, ladies and gentlemen, this, is, this segment's gone way too fast. And before Natasha gets into more depth, I don't want to break her, her, uh, her mode here. So we're going to take a break right now. And then we're going to come back with, se- with our second segment with Natasha. Do not miss this, ladies and gentlemen. This story just gets better and better. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking today with Natasha Tavora-Cohen, and and we're discussing Embracing Change. And change is something, particularly as we come out of this uh, COVID-19, is something that's going to become more and more common as we go forward in our life. Now, Natasha has experienced more change than you can possibly imagine. She's lived in a country that doesn't exist. She's moved multiple times to find a new career as her family escaped to former Yugoslavia. She has been in the fashion industry, which her legs were taken out from under her when NAFTA came along. She read a book called Spiral Dynamics, and now she has created a program based on Spiral Dynamics, which I understand, Tasha, 
is based on differentiating people by the way they think as opposed to what we all went through, the standard personality-based tests. Explain to us what happened here. Well, so the subtitle of this book is Mastering Values, Leadership, and Change. And when I took my first Spiral Dynamics program with the creator of the program, which was um, Chris Christopher Callan, um, not only did I fall in love with the approach, um, but I fell in love with the man who wrote the book. And when we met, there was like that just magical connection between people. And when we met, we essentially came together like two little suction cups. And we spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. We worked on five different continents. We did this training in uh, probably 15 different languages. And we got to travel nearly 2 million miles over almost 20 years together. And what we got to see were different people and living different lives and going through change. And we had the privilege and the honor to help them tackle some of the things that they were going through in terms of leading organizations or supporting their clients through change or getting to know themselves. And through that, this particular program built, evolved, and transformed multiple times. We literally designed it for every group that we were going to be with. So if it was going to be in Moscow, we designed it with the cues and the cultural norms and the symbols of their culture. If we were in Ecuador, we'd do that in Ecuador. So it was really phenomenal to just be able to tap into the heart and the soul of what people were experiencing. And back to your question, Frank, what is the approach? It's a nature of human nature. How do we evolve? How do we grow? What causes us to change? Um, what makes us who we are? So personality is a thing that we're kind of born with and we can tweak around the edges, but basically that's the part of us. There, there are parts of us that are written in ink and parts of us that are written in pencil. Personality is in a sense written in ink. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we look at, this flow of human development is written more in pencil. And that's where the hope of us transforming and becoming different human beings, either by choice or by force, um, is possible. And that was a long answer to your question. No, that was a very good answer. And that was a very good answer. It's, as I read more about your, your background and your story, it's customizing an approach to fit an individual style or an individual's culture. Is that correct? Well, you know yourself as a leader that sometimes you want to pull your hair out because you want to get the best out of people or maybe you're not clicking very well. And there's just kind of a mismatch between what's being communicated. And we're living through this COVID era and there are probably 
husbands and wives and kids who are looking at one another going, what the hell am I doing in this strange home with these strange people and well, get me the heck out of here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So there's something deeper in us. And I always say to people, we are blind to other people. And we are somewhat blind to ourselves. And this approach helps us to take a journey into self and into others to have that deeper connection and understanding of what's motivating them, what's inspiring them, how they make choices, how they learn, how they accept or reject information or beliefs or ideas. As you started working in the corporate world, and I was a corporate executive forever, and one of the things that I had to deal with and had a lot of difficulty with for a long time were the hidden agendas. These are issues that are they're not what was initially presented. Somebody's holding something back. Now, how did your program start to address this for organizations? Well, organizationally, um, unless you have a sound, scientifically validated tool that gets under the hood of what's going on, you can't see this stuff on the surface. We are a social creature. We are very adaptable in terms of our behaviors. So we can shift the way we show up. And present the face that needs to be presented so we can get along and not get into conflict and do what needs to be done. And so the very first step is using a sound, validated tool that measures the thing that you're trying to get at. Then the second step is taking that tool, understanding what it means, and customizing for what the client is trying to solve, both their immediate needs and the underlying stuff that maybe they're not talking about or maybe they're not ready to look at because they're too busy doing the, you know, the the hair on fire kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And as you build relationship, and I truly believe that we can't transform until we are in deep relationship, in the kind of relationship that has trust, then we're willing to open. Exactly. The trust factor and the mutual respect become so critical and yet there's still we still run into so many people that will give lip service to it rather than being all in. Well, so here's what I think. And it looks like lip service. And I think people are very well-intentioned. And I say we're invisible to one another, A, because we can't see these underlying drivers, but B, we haven't been educated or taught how to connect deeply with ourselves, connect deeply with others, and to understand the actual motivational flow and flow of change that both we are going through personally and that others are going through and that teams as systems organizationally are going through. 
So if we don't understand the flow of the river, um, I don't know if you remember the Army Corps of Engineers um, trying to drain the Everglades because they thought it was a swamp. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I remember that. Right. So you're never going to drain the swamp if you have mapped it as a swamp and it's actually this slow flowing river. So getting to that understanding of what the flow of human nature and change and leadership is and how they merge together with the leader and the team and the culture and the stakeholders and the market and the customer demand and all of that, it's very difficult to make change work. And you know 70% of change efforts fail. And that's organizationally, personally, individually, 90% of individual change efforts fail. I love this story with the with your river concept there. I also recall one time that the Corps of Engineers were going to reroute the Mississippi River. And as they were attempting to reroute the flow of the Mississippi River, housing was put in there in places like Davenport, Iowa. Well, the river goes where the river is going to go, just as you said. And subsequently, there was massive flooding that you see in Iowa almost every year. Some things are just natural. That's just the way it is. I love exactly what you said. The river is going to go where the river is going to go, whether we want it to or not. Exactly. Now, Natasha, one of the things that drove me crazy in my executive life was all the mandatory compliance training that was put into place to deal with diversity, to improve understanding, communication, collaboration. For the most part, these these were <laughs> failures. Yet your program that you do is successful. So what do you understand that most programs don't? Well, programs, and I'm not dismissing diversity and inclusion at all, um, but a lot of diversity and inclusion programs are looking at, they're looking at plumbing and pigmentation. Um, They're looking at kind of what I did on the surface. Um, They're looking at, you know, what does a person look like? What do they dress like? What do they say is important to them? And we consider that exactly like you said, the houses on the banks of the river. And when the river floods through, it is what is core to that human being, that that life force that flows through them, that... um, evolves and emerges that they are more than just their skin color or their gender or their accent or um, some of the values that they say are important to them. They're deeper drivers. And if we don't discuss and describe and find ways to work together coming from very different places, I was working with a client the other day, and he's going through some really serious consideration where a 35-year marriage is possibly on the rocks. And he shifted, and he changed, and his wife didn't. And she's, um, you know, they're Muslim, and when he gets on a Zoom call and there happen to be women in that Zoom room, she's looking at it and saying, dude, you are cheating on me. (laughs) That's against our religion. And he's looking at the whole 
at, at the Quran and the whole uh, religious text and wording in an entirely different way than she is, even though they're living in the same household, in the same society, with some of the same messages. So it's the view of these critical pieces that are core to us. She can't let go of this belief. It's core to her identity. And he handles the beliefs in a lighter, gentler, um, more malleable way, which to her are sinful. And they're negotiating this piece of, are we going to stay married? Are we going to have a divorce? Or and they've got option number three. <laughs> you want to know what that option three is? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So option number three is their religion allows him to take another wife. <laughs> wow. So so here's the thing. If she's going to be accurate to her religion, that's gotta be okay. But it's not okay for her. That's incredible. You, you said just before we went into that, that something in the neighborhood of 90 to 95% of personal change fail, even, and I've heard you say this before, even if it's life and death, people don't want to change. Expand on that a little. So we are an ecosystem. And when we start taking on new values, when we start taking on different behaviors, we don't feel like ourselves. And that um, identity, it just doesn't feel like me. Well, maybe it's not the me that you were, but it's the me that you're becoming. So even in the face of life or death, when people are told, if you don't change your habits, you don't change the way you eat. You don't change your exercise patterns. You will die. Without support, 90% of people won't change those habits. They won't change their lifestyle. And that heart attack um, comes. That high blood pressure continues. Um, the um, high blood sugar causes dramatic effects so the way we change is we change with the support of mentors we change in society and community that supports these changes so we have to lean into bigger systems than just the power of my brute force and sheer will does that make sense it absolutely does i was a medic in the military during the Vietnam War era. And I can recall one patient in particular who came in with uh, uh, chest pain multiple times, multiple times. Mm -hmm. And we laid out and the doctors laid out for him, this is the diet you have to live with. This is what you have to eat. This is how it has to be done. And while he was in the hospital, he, he would have the family continue to bring him cheeseburgers and other various foods that the doctors are losing their mind. Six months later, after his first admission, he died. And I remember the doctors talking with the, with the family, and they were so distraught. How could this possibly happen? He was under your care. And the doctor said, 
No, he was under your care. You chose this. Very powerful. Very powerful. That that sits with you for a lifetime. It absolutely does. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against another break. Uh, we have one more segment with Natasha. This third segment is going to be the best yet. Do not go away. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Life Altering Events, and my name is Frank Sakari. We're having a tremendous conversation with Natasha Todorik Cohen, and she is embracing change, is the topic that we're getting into today. And we just had an amazing story before the break about how people don't like change and won't change in many cases, even if it's a life or death situation. And we had a couple of examples that we talked about there. Now, if you're not willing to change in a life and death situation, the majority, that's that's pretty interesting leeway into the majority of projects and organizations fail even before they begin. What is the reason, as as you investigate these, Natasha, what are the reasons that you see that this occurring and how do you advise these people to to deal with this? Well, when we're dealing organizationally, we're dealing with um, not only human emotion, human lives, human identity individually, 
but we're dealing with human systems. And so we've got to look at it, A, as human systems, um, but B, how do we get under the hood of it? And one of our research projects was looking at how people connect and communicate and how easily they're able to uh, form a deep connection and reflect back the experience of others. And it didn't matter matter whether we were in um, London or Leningrad, um, Moscow or Madrid, um, Melbourne or, you know, L.A., um, it, the people had the very same results. And 65 to 70 percent of our groups could not reflect back the reality of another person, even after we trained them. And that's why I say we're invisible to one another. And what we do is we start with assessments We look at what's going under the surface. We try to work more with people who are um, relational rather than transactional um, because then your projects are much more likely to work. Um, If they're concerned about the people, then we can have the people conversations. If they're not, it's kind of like planting seeds in the middle of a freeway. They might grow, probably not. (laughs) Exactly. Now, I was involved in one of the most colossal merger acquisition failures in the history of business. It was when AT&T bought NCR. Now, I read in your statement something in the neighborhood of 80% of mergers and acquisitions are colossal failures. Yes. Why is that? So the stats are, and they vary, um, the stats are somewhere between 67 to 80% of um, M&A fails. And they say that it's due to culture. And I had this idea that I thought, you know, let me just go to these guys who are facilitating M&A, who are working in these transitions and integrations, and let me have a conversation with them about how our tools can measure change and culture and show them what's going on organizationally to just make it easier for people. And what I found time and time again was, A, they didn't understand it, B, they didn't have a full, most of them, a full grasp of what culture was. They were more bottom line oriented and they figured, you know, adults will just get along and they'll figure it out. And there were probably about, I'd say, 15% who were concerned about it. Um, But they were in the minority. They were kind of the enlightened few. And the problem in mergers and acquisitions are the people doing the mergers and acquisitions. It's so legally focused. It's so tactically focused. It's so business bottom line focused. And there isn't a people bottom line. And because they're not measuring the people stuff, Inevitably, it will tank because they're ramming everything through as quickly as possible to get the systems integrated, to get the structures integrated. They forget about people and their hearts 
and their identities at work and how they need to bring these systems together. And like you said earlier, the river is going to go where it goes and the river of culture is going to flow over the strategies and the structures and the systems that they're trying to build a patchwork to fix. I was involved in, uh, with mergers and acquisitions and everything, you, you hit it right on the head, it was based on bottom line. You do this well, we do that well, we combine it, we will have exponential growth. And and just get along. <laughs> and yes, and everybody will have fun and everybody will become friends. And it just does not work. The good people leave because they can. And yes. then what you end up having are the what we used to call the lemmings, the people that are just going to go along to go, but they're not adding any value to the organization. The good people will leave. Yeah, because you've got people who are seeing that they can't make a difference, they can't make an impact, and they've got better prospects elsewhere. And the others are ducking their head and figuring, I'm just going to do what I need to do to survive this. And I know how to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, three bags full, sir, or whatever that metaphor is that I just butchered. (laughs) You're right. One of the things that uh, when you are trying to implement change internally and not an M&A, you're just trying to do it uh, internally within an organization. I was always taught, be prepared that when you start a change, things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh And I've seen... Too many organizations start down a path that makes a lot of sense, and then they hit that first bump, and they throw up their hands and say, see, I I told you this wasn't going to work. How do you keep people engaged during those difficult times? Um, So... And I mean, it's not always successful. You know, we're we're dealing with, you know, this massive river that we're trying to nudge along the way. Um, But if we can get people um, figuring out how to work together how to connect, how to communicate. Um, Like I said, we use assessments and tools that bring about an awareness of deeper things going on. So as an example, uh, had a group, they were super excited about the change they were doing. So it's a senior leadership and they're, they're really excited because they're planning the party. And they're just going to roll it out over the organization. Well, in the very language of rollout, um, you've got that notion of steamroller going right over, you know, the innocent victims in the way. And we showed them the results of the analysis and said, look, this is where you're sitting. This is why change looks great and fun to you. But the tactics that you're thinking about How do you believe somebody, and we would build a model of another group's experience or another individual's experience that they could relate to. How do you believe these guys who like to do it step by step with greater certainty or these guys who need a broad view of things and then know the step by step or these people who don't want to figure it out, want to be told, but want to be told by the CEO and not you. So we'd figure out what the uh, motivators were for folks and then try to start knitting together 
the change with the way people needed to be able to hear the change and be involved in the change, those who needed control, those who needed others to do stuff. Um, we'd map that out and then just take that ball of yarn and start knitting it together into a cohesive garment that they all could understand know where they were going, and kind of get behind. Because you've got to have a playbook. And what we do with them is we've got an eight step, and obviously we can't get into it now, but we've got eight steps that take people through the playbook. And whether it's individual or team or organizational, if you don't have all the answers around each of those eight pieces, that culture is going to flow like the river and mess up all those structures and systems that sounded so good at the executive level, but just doesn't work um, in practice. One of the things that I'm hearing very loudly as we, as we are dealing with this uh, virus is older managers and leaders, they want, they want employees there from nine to five because I can watch, out for, watch over them. The younger workforce has been pushing against this for a long time. And now, because they've been working from home, have been working remotely, they've shown that, hey, you don't need to be there from nine to five. Okay. Not everybody's cut out to work from home. Is this part of the program you're doing where you're, where you're trying to map people with their skills and their abilities? Yeah, all the introverts are very happy being at home. <laughs> yeah, they are. And the extroverts are going stir crazy. <laughs> and you're right. The top-down leadership approach says um, the the mindset is, well, they're not going to do their job if I'm not watching over them. And the independent um, brain says, I'm going to do better if I can figure it out on my own. And when I've got somebody watching over my shoulder, I slow down. I try to serve them. I don't work on the vision and the goal as well. Um, And my creativity just gets lost. So people need to be managed in with their natural motivational flows. And some people prefer to be held by the hand by their managers and leaders. And others want free reign, but they want an open door so they can check in when they need to. And others don't want the managers or leaders anywhere around them. They want to work with their peers. And then there are those who want to work on their own. So trying to weave together, and that's what I call diversity, trying to weave together a diverse um, workforce where you've got people who want to work on their own, people who want to work with peers, people who want to be held by the hand by their managers. That's a complex mix to juggle for leaders. And when they understand that, um, then it's a lot easier for them to stay out of the way when they need to, to pitch in and be there when they need to, to hold the bike while people are practicing without their training wheels, without driving the bike themselves. Exactly. I was working with a, an organization who has a massive number of millennials and Gen Zers, and we did a, a survey with some of the, some of the staff who's now working from home. And what, was, what blew some of these managers' minds, just blew their minds, was they're working more hours but it's not necessarily between nine and five. Yeah. But they're home. 
they got a break. They went and took their kids home. Well, not now during the virus thing. They, they took a walk or whatever. And then they came back. And then an idea pops into their head. So at 10 o'clock at night, they might be working on something that they wouldn't be doing from 9 to 5. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we don't have a world and a workforce right now that's on the same time zones even. So we've got workforce that's, um, that gets up when we've gone to sleep getting stuff done. We've got workforce in different time zones. We've got people whose, as you're saying, their best ideas happen at 2 and 3 in the morning. And that's when they're powering through some amazing stuff. And they don't even want to make a 9 a.m. meeting because they've already done an entire night and they're sleeping. They might want to come in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then bow out at 5. That's exactly correct. And one of the things that their their data is showing in the month and a half that they've been working this way is they are becoming more productive. And some of these managers are standing there shaking their heads and saying, how can this possibly be? (laughs) I'm not watching them. How can it happen? (laughs) And it goes back to what you said earlier. Trust and respect. I trust that you're going to do the job and they respect the fact that they need to get the job done. It's incredible. We have just about two minutes left, uh, Natasha. One thing I like, we have one minute left. Billions and billions of dollars are spent on leadership, and 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 most of the leadership training it fails. Okay, what do you see the problem with selection of people to become leaders? Well, we've got a few things. Uh, number one is we have who the leader is psychosocially. Um, the leader needs to match their team, and the leader needs to understand the motivational flows of the team. Every individual is a system and they have these psychosocial drivers that are working as well. So if we are not rooting our leadership frameworks and models in sound research, in the kind of research that gets to the core drivers of human nature, then those leadership programs are going to fail because they're based on tools and tactics and surface level things. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time and we could go on for another hour easily. So I want to thank Natasha for being here, sharing her experiences of her early life and what she's been through professionally. So thank you very much for being with us. It has been an absolute treasure, delight and pleasure to spend this time with you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we say this every week. No matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. Look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward in better times and better people will come into your life. Now, if you missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can listen to them on demand, uh, on Google, now on uh, iHeart and Alexa, who have recently picked up the show, or at my website, frankzakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. One of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Natasha showed you where many of those rocks are. Join me again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. 
Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cop.